0: Yeah, y'all try to get up here and follow that. <laughs> I told Cassandra at the first service, I used to have a recording of Perfect Praise uh, that the Turtle Creek Corral did. Uh, and I lost the CD and grieved it. It used to be the thing that when I had had it, I would put that CD in and it would bring my spirit right back up. And now I know I can get them live and in person. I don't want any old CD anymore. <laughs> Good morning, Resurrection Metropolitan Community Church. Mike and I have been praying for you. And we have felt very keenly your prayers for us. Thank you for upholding us and for keeping Resurrection MCC constantly before God in prayer. Together over the miles, we have been learning about each other, Supporting each other in discernment, and now God has brought us together to learn even a little more about each other as we share the dreams for this great congregation that God is putting on our hearts. I'm dying to preach, but before I get started in earnest, may I take time to thank three important groups of people? May I have your permission? Your senior pastor search committee has toiled untold numbers of hours over the last 10 months. And right now I want to add thanks to their partners and spouses and their family members for allowing them time away from home for all the meetings, all the phone calls while dinner was getting cold and for listening to them process the process of the process And what a process. Oh, my gosh. Your wise committee knew that your search was not simply about comparing a set of skills to a stack of resumes. Your search was about relationships. Your relationship with God, your relationships with each other, and who it might be that you and God would invite into that web of complex, powerful, beautiful relationships. The search committee led you in a process of visioning, then put together the finest marketing packet for a church I have ever seen, (laughs) and I've seen a lot of them. In relationship with the elders of our denomination, they considered how and to whom to reach out. Then they worked and worked to go through all the hopeful candidate packets they received. They talked with each other and with the references of the candidates, always with an ear cocked toward heaven. They had you and God And the people represented by those resumes, constantly in their hearts. Then they accepted the profound responsibility of leadership and made a decision to recommend me to you. Because I feel called here so strongly, that decision feels to me ordained by God. But I take your election next week very seriously. I hope you will elect me to be your senior pastor, but I don't prejudge your decision. What I am confident in doing in this moment in time is asking you to join me in thanking your search committee for all the ways they have made Mike and me feel welcome and for their tireless efforts on behalf of God and this congregation. You all who were on that committee, please stand. also to say a word of thanks to your outstanding ministry staff and by that I I don't mean just the folks with REV in front of their name although I certainly mean them and they know it Uh, but I mean everybody here from the wonderful man I have not yet met who made this place so beautiful when Mike and I came up 11th street yesterday for the first time we caught our breath at how beautiful this property is, what a testimony to God it is. And, and somebody told me, oh, you got to meet him. He's out there at 7 o'clock every Sunday morning with his blower, and there he is, and I can't wait to meet him. Everybody involved in this church, Mark and, and Cassandra and everybody. This ministry team <laughs> is really something. Reverend Dwayne Johnson is one of the finest preachers in this country, and and his wisdom as a pastoral leader is evident in all this congregation has accomplished over the years he's a hard act to follow but I'll tell you what gives me some confidence in potentially following him your ministry staff may well be the finest in the MCC And I would gladly compare their record of leadership over the last 10 months with any other church staff in this country. It is simply unheard of for there not to be significant drop-off in attendance and volunteerism and giving at churches facing an interim time between senior pastors. And yet, the program of outreach, spiritual development, and social action fed by rocking good worship has continued at resurrection without missing a beat yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and that that great record of service tells me that these good ministers didn't just start working the day Reverend Duane moved to Washington, but have built over the last 10 months on deep relationships nurtured by their skills and gifts for ministry that come straight from God. So colleagues in ministry, I salute you. I thank you. I have much, much to learn from you, and I look forward to doing so. And finally, Resurrection MCC, thank you. Thank you. Each one of you, some for many years, almost all of you over the last 10 months, have made your relationship to God and to each other a priority. All the skills and hard work of your volunteer leaders and your ministry team would have gone to waste had you not chosen to respond to their leadership. You have been faithful in supporting them in part, I know, because you love them. And in greater part, because even on the days when you're not in the mood to love much of anybody, you love and revere God. Your courage and dedication under Reverend Dwayne's leadership are the bone and sinew around which this great church has been built, this embodiment of Christ in Houston. And your faithfulness during this time of transition makes you a church that I am thrilled at the prospect of serving in pastoral, prophetic, and strategic leadership. In this moment, I hope you feel sincerely not only my thanks but Almighty God's. By your actions over the years and the last ten months, you have proven that you take seriously the message of the prophet Jeremiah. Did you know you were doing it? You were. Most of the book of Jeremiah is taken up with the prophet essentially calling his neighbors sons of snakes. He takes a long time to tell them how badly they have botched it. They have broken every rule God gave them in order to help them live in peace and prosperity. And finally, late in Jeremiah's long harangue of his people, he offers them a little hope. And for generations, people of faith, tired of the losing battle of trying to live up to impossible inhuman lists of rules have clung for dear life to the prophet's vision. Jeremiah said to his people, God is doing something new. God gave you rules to guide you and you have made them into sour grapes and force-fed them to your children. You've taken God's beautiful wine of discipline and structure And turned it rancid by acting as if the rules themselves are the point. God doesn't care about the rules. God cares about you. To God, it's the relationship that matters. God isn't interested in how many rules you broke or how many you managed to keep. God cares whether you give and receive respect Whether everyone has enough to eat and a warm, dry place to sleep at night. God wants your religious practice to bring you joy. The kind of joy you get from a visit with a beloved friend. That's what God wants. Jeremiah spoke as if God was speaking. I have treated you like children, God says, and that didn't work. It seems like the more I treat you like children, leading you by the hand, the more you act like children. So now I'm going to treat you like adults. I will put my law within you, and I will write it on your hearts. And I will be your God, and you will be my people. Now, I don't know what God looks or sounds like. So, when I hear that, I hear it in the beautiful contralto of my eighth grade science teacher, Miss Margaret Stripling. We were so devoted to Miss Margaret Stripling. She made cell reproduction and species classification seem like the most fascinating things in the world. <laughs> and she treated us like adults, even though we didn't always feel like adults eighth graders. Miss Stripling had the tough task of keeping a bunch of young people in line who were mostly bigger than she was, but still hadn't shaken off all our childish ways. She couldn't out-shout us. She couldn't out-wrestle us. And for goodness sake, she could not, not out-argue a bunch of eighth graders. Right? But she didn't need anything that loud or violent to keep us focused on our studies. All she had to do was move to the front of the class and fold her arms over that big old bosom and look at us. Because we loved her so much, the idea that Miss Stripling was disappointed in us was all we needed in order to straighten up. Whatever it was that we thought was more fun than behaving or getting our lessons didn't seem fun at all when we realized that it was disappointing miss stripling our relationship with her mattered more than passing the note or shooting the spitball and it surely mattered more than any smart remark we thought we might want to make we wanted to act like grown-ups not because it was good for us or good for society we didn't care about any of that we just loved miss stripling And pretty soon, she didn't even have to tell us what the rules were anymore. Because we were 8th graders, not children. We knew in our hearts how to act. Now, my little story about spitballs and smart aleck behavior must seem sort of quaint to those of you who are teachers today. You are called to educate children and young people who face a variety of challenges I didn't even imagine as a white child of privilege in rural South Georgia more than 30 years ago. The challenges of poverty, overburdened parents, drugs, violence, and sexual abuse that you have to plow through before you can even plant a little seed of knowledge must seem daunting indeed some days. It takes raw courage to stand in front of many classrooms today, not because young people are bad. Oh, Lord, no. But because the challenges they face are so cruelly unfair. God knows we need something stronger, more trustworthy, than a simple set of rules to live by if we're going to make it in this cold world. God knows we need a relationship with the Almighty based on mutual love and respect if we're to face the challenges of life, even in a lovely place like Houston. We need to know God and each other so intimately and so unconditionally that we can turn quickly either up toward God or around toward each other when we are afraid or confused and know that we are understood and cared for. In such a loving space, we can find the courage to confront together the injustices that God is calling us to address. We will find the fortitude to offer hope and healing where there is confusion and pain. In this beloved community, God will grant us the holy audacity to believe we can build the connections first among ourselves and then out in the broader communities that we seek to serve that will allow us to discover and empower the solutions to the problems we face as straight, gay, and transgender, black, brown, white, rich, poor, and mostly in between Houstonians. To paraphrase President Obama, we will find the audacity to hope not in a political party or ideology. Oh no, not in another set of rules, but in our firm belief that we are children of our heavenly parent. That God loves us without limit and that we are free to love our neighbors boundlessly in grateful response to God's love for us. Now the stakes are high. They are high indeed. There are people in this world who value rules even over the lives of children and especially lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender children. I was in Salt Lake City Tuesday to help President of the Human Rights Campaign Joe Salmanes deliver a petition signed by more than 150,000 Americans To Boyd K. Packer, the second most powerful person in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints. Two weeks ago, in the midst of an epidemic of gay youth suicides caused by bullying, Elder Packer chose to tell queer youth a lie in a sermon broadcast to millions of people worldwide. He told those young people they could change their sexual orientation. And that is a death dealing lie. He told them that they should submit themselves to so-called reparative therapy that has been proven by the American Psychiatric Association and the American Psychological Association not only to be useless in changing sexual orientation, but actually emotionally and spiritually damaging to young people. In a time when our youth are jumping off bridges and, bless their hearts, shooting themselves in closets... Boyd K. Packer chose to pour gasoline on hellfire in the name of righteousness. He told gay youth to choose rules over abundant life. And you and I and 150,000 other people were overheard by untold millions telling that abusive bully to stop it. Stop it now. Like the widow before the unjust judge, we plead the case of the marginalized. We go again and again to the oppressor and stand for justice and for life. And in between, we comfort Asher Brown's family and each other. And very soon, we will work in coalition with others to make lasting change in Houston, Asher's proper memorial. Friends, you have discerned it, and I believe it. Resurrection Metropolitan Community Church is called of God to be the leading social justice congregation in Houston. In order to accomplish that goal, we must continue to offer outstanding educational and spiritual development opportunities to equip us for service. We will need to continue to offer dynamic, spirit-filled worship that will empower us to work for justice in Christ's name and we will need to know and care for each other exquisitely well. The strength and wisdom and effectiveness of our witness beyond these walls will reflect the strength of our relationships with God and with each other. We have the courage, the audacity, To hope that Houston can be a community that exemplifies caring, mutual respect, and justice for all. We dare to believe and act on this vision because God has promised to love us, to teach us, to guide us, and to accompany us. As together we make a way where there is as yet no way.